What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Rebunked. My name is Scott, coming at you live from the Last American Vagabond Studios here in historic Franklin, Tennessee. And I got another fantastic episode for you today. Uh, very excited about this one. So just real quick, though, though, before we get too far into it, I just want to tell you guys how to come uh, follow and support the show. So the website is rebunk.news. Uh, if you're new to the show, go ahead and sign up for the email list. That way you get notifications whenever we're about to go live. Uh, we got the t-shirt shop, uh, rebunk.news forward slash shirts. And this is brought to you by Big Frog T-Shirts in Beaverton, Oregon. They're in the belly of the beast, but they're a liberty-minded T-shirt shop. Great folks. They're fans of the show, and they helped me uh, get all my shirts out there. So we got all kinds of designs, you know, just the standard logo. Um, had a listener, Lisa, submit this one, the COVID Kool-Aid Man, right? That's a fantastic design. And uh, all kinds of fun stuff. So check it out at rebunk.news forward slash shirts, or there's a link on the website there. Uh, we got the Give, Send, Go up if you want to uh, financially support the show. And uh, subscribestar.com forward slash rebunked if you want to be a monthly recurring donor. So that's pretty much it, guys. There's some other affiliate links in the episode description for uh, autonomy. Uh, we're going to get into that a little bit tonight. Um, so if you want to learn more about that, there's a link in the description. And then also Truth TRS Heavy Metal Detox Spray. So, all right, guys, without further ado, I'm very excited to bring in my uh, guests today. Um, so let's see. We got Maddie Bannon. Maddie, what's going on? Hi, Scott. How's it going? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks. Cool. So, yeah, uh, yeah awesome. So, so, uh, we, our paths kind of crossed in the autonomy course, um, mm -hmm. which is super awesome and definitely we'll get into all that. Um, so you are, uh, so tell us before we get too far into it, a little bit about yourself, your, and, and manufacturing reality. Yeah. Um, so I do a few, um, I have a series, it's called the COVID collaborators and I'm looking into people who, uh, are in the National Advisory Board for the COVID Collaborative, which is an action arm of the COVID Commission Planning Group headed by Philip Zillicow. Mm. Um, they are doing all kinds of things like advising the president to, to push for vaccinating 70% of the world, uh, which he is implementing. So they're a very important group to look at, keep an eye on. Okay. Yeah, it's great stuff. And these are really, you guys, I really want to encourage you to go check it out. So there's a link also in the description, manufacturedrally.com. Also brought to you by James, James Jordan. Shout out to James out there, man. Uh, but these are really in-depth articles. You do like really amazing investigative deep dive research and you got all your citations and just really well done. So awesome work. Um, is this an ongoing thing? Yes, it's ongoing. Um, cool. I am taking a bit of a hiatus for autonomy just so I can prioritize, but uh, yeah. still be working on it. The next person I want to look into is Ezekiel Emanuel. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, yeah. These are all uh, quite crafty little characters. So, well, good job. Good job exposing them. So, thank you. So, right on. So, um, so let's go, let's talk about this whole pandemic amnesty thing, right? Like, mm -hmm. what a what a bunch of madness, right? Like, uh, so, so what we're referencing here, you guys, I'm sure you've all known and then we're, you're all tired of hearing about it, but a few weeks ago, or a couple weeks ago at this point, the Atlantic came out with this crazy article calling for pandemic amnesty. Right. And, uh, sounds great. Right. Like, let's all just like come clean and, and own up for all the crazy crap that we, you know, instigated the last couple of years and, and let's try to get to some reconciliation, but that was obviously not the nature of it. So 
Uh, and then I wrote this response, right? I wrote my little take on it, right? I'm just like, okay. And it's funny because the, the title article I wrote or in the heading, it was like, I just want to get my thoughts out there and then put it to bed. I'm just so <laughs> sick of hearing about it and talking about it. And then here we are doing a whole episode. So it's okay. It's all right. It's all right. But what was your first impressions when you saw that original Atlantic article? Uh, well, revulsion. Yeah. Um, I'm still angry. Yeah. Though I did, I did, and I did read it, and it made me a little bit more angry because she clearly has conflicting interests. Mm-hmm. Um, she, there's only so much she can say as her social circle will oust her if she says too much, um, which is really what we were subject to for the past three years. So it's kind of like, welcome to the club now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like it's um, it's not very genuine. Um, though it is coming, you have to understand the context when, in which it was written. It was written at the Atlantic by Emily Oster, who's a, a professor of economics at Brown University. So you can't, you got to set your expectations when you're reading things like this. Um, to me, it sounds kind of like a mom blog, it's, uh, not the most well-written thing on the mm. planet, but um, yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. I completely agree with all that. So uh, you, you said you reached out to her? Right? I did. I sent her an email. I asked her for an interview. And I um, really, the point was for me to ask her what led her to write this, because I'd like I'd like to understand that, um, because it doesn't seem like she's actually wanting forgiveness, uh, because amnesty is the wrong word to use. She's she used that it was the wrong word to use, because amnesty is an official pardon for people who have been convicted of a political offense, mm-hmm. and this was not a political offense, um, and she hasn't been convic- convicted. And I'm not too sure who she represents as well. Um, so I'd like to ask her what group she thinks she represents, as well as uh, you know why she thinks she's been convicted of a political offense. Um, but that was a few days ago. She still has not responded. Yeah, one of those things. I'd be really surprised if she did. But you know, I really uh, admire your uh, you know go get. Go get him, Nist, right? Go, go and uh, reach out to her. You know, I mean, we can, we can always ask. You know, who knows? Who knows? But you know, mm-hmm. who is she representing? I mean, the Atlantic alone. I mean, I'm sure you've looked into that, right? The um, mm-hmm. owner lady. What is her name? She's like uh, Tim Cook. Is that who it was the Apple guy? Her I'm talking about? Uh, that not would Tim not Cook. Me. What was what was the other guy? Um, God. Anyway, one of the Apple, one of the founders of Apple. Uh, it was like her husband was the founder of apple and then she she's all like friends with glenn maxwell right have you seen all that stuff mm-hmm. uh hold on hold on um the atlantic anyway i just remember seeing all these photos of uh the lady who runs the atlantic with with glenn maxwell so they're all just buddies you know they're all just covering Warren, for each other Warren powell jobs does that sound jobs, right? that's right steve jobs steve jobs yeah, 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 yeah. okay Right. And so now type in her name and then Ghislaine Maxwell. That's uh, oh, that's God. a one. <laughs> yeah. So we already know that the Atlantic is literally just one of these like institutional rags that just covers for the establishment and just runs cover and, and all these crazy things. So, yeah. So anyway, so anger, I mean, I can relate to that. That's, that's similar to what I felt too, you know? And, and like in the, in the piece I wrote for T lab, you know, that was, I was kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, my, my, my whole reason for writing that to begin with was just like the idea of like at first, even though I knew it was the Atlantic. So I had, I knew what I was walking into, but there was still a part of me that was like, okay, all right, I'm willing to talk. I'm willing to come to the table mm-hmm. and at least see what you have to say. Right. Uh, 
And the whole idea being that like you would have to really, really, really come correct on a lot of this stuff for us to even have this discussion. I love your assertion that amnesty is not even the right word. So we're not even like talking at the same level here at all. You know, no. that's such a good point. But just in the interest of going along the line of reasoning that they tried to put out there, like uh pandemic forgiveness, right? Like the, uh, that's, that's what I was thinking. Like, okay. You want to, you want to ask for forgiveness? Okay. Maybe we could talk about that. But then they just totally, it's like, it's like a, a limited hangout, but like a limited forgiveness. It's like, okay, I'm going to apologize for this tiny little thing here and see what you have to say. But all this other stuff over here, like all the really heinous stuff, not even going to address it. So therefore that's where you lose me. And then it almost is like, a backhanded way of just being like, yeah, but the MRNA truly turned out to be the winner out of all of these injections. And so <laughs> it really like, really like the best thing about this was the MRNA. Like, thank God for the MRNA. I'm like, Oh geez. Okay. And it's almost like, and so that was my reaction was like, once I started seeing that stuff, I realized I feel, I, I mean, I kind of felt like they know us, they know like what triggers us. They know like how to push our buttons and how to poke our buttons. And it almost felt like the divide like a further divide and conquer strategy where it's like, okay, they're going to lure us in with this fake apology. And then once we get there and see what they have to say, they're just going to like rub it in our face and just make it even worse. And then the divide is back on and we're like, Oh, screw them. And they're like, Oh, screw them. Because the last thing in the world they want is to bring us together. Like if there was some sort of like forgiveness and reconciliation, that would bring, you know, both sides together. And we'd be all like, Oh yeah, wait a minute. So who is responsible for all this? They can't be having any of that. So anyway, that was my whole thing. It was like it, talking about it from the lens of like, this is a fake apology meant to drive the divide even further. Mm -hmm. So I agree. Um, my question to you is, shouldn't yeah. we come together anyway? Uh, I Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Since that is, since that is something that is actually very important. Yeah. We need more. It's better to have more allies than less, especially when you're fighting uh, the real enemy is is very powerful, so we need as many people on our side as we can get. Um, yeah. The the question there is um, how 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 do we go about this? Because mm -hmm. people are angry, and that is okay. Um, when you come to reconcile with people who have wronged you, um, it's important not to forget about those wrongs. There's lessons to be learned. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so it's important not to just, and that, that was one of my objections with her articles. It seems like there was no learning, uh, that she was proposing. She's like, we just need to move on. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something that is, it's not an option. Um, and really, uh, economics professors, how have they really wronged you? I mean, she, she, and, and your friends and family, uh, those reconciliations I think are entirely possible. It requires a little bit of, uh, humility on our, our part because we were right about a lot of things. Um, but to be the adult in the room does require you to be the adult in the room and do the, do the hard thing and the, and the right thing. Uh, but it's for a good purpose because, yeah. uh, if we do stay divided like this, we'll be we'll end up fighting a lot of small battles on the margins that aren't really meaningful. When we could be using our energy to unite uh, more people in a common cause for like goodness, um, fighting against tyranny. Yeah. So I think absolutely. it's worthwhile. 
Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm all for it. In fact, I would argue like that's what we, that's what we're out here doing. You know, like you writing your articles, you know, everybody that does a podcast, like every, like what we're trying to do is we're trying to present this information in a way or put this information out there. Yeah. It's nice to be preaching to the choir and we have these communities of researchers and people that are like already on the same level, but you know, the real, real hope is that this will trickle down to the mainstream and reach some of those people that are just starting to wake up and be like, Whoa, yeah, maybe I have been lied to and then find this information and then use it to ed start educating themselves. So, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, that's what we do. We're out here really trying to connect with those people who are just waking up and we're really trying to build those bridges. Right. Mm -hmm. And I love your assessment of being the adult in the room. You know, I think that characterizes the side of, you know, this, um, not maybe not this side, but like once we, once we get to this point of like, okay, now we understand what's going on. You know, our job is to maybe educate, you know, that's part of what we have to do. We have to be the bigger person, you know, the other side, like it's based on deception and lies and, and violence and all that stuff. And it's like, I've always said like for us to have any sort of meaningful victory, like let's say in some perfect world where we do win the hearts and minds of all the people out there. Right. You know, the only way that that's going to be a meaningful sustaining victory is if we use you know if we are the adults in the room and we don't resort to any of these like means towards an end type of tactics that are deployed against us constantly you know we have to be we have to have honor we have to have integrity we have to be honest and we have to uh you know rise above the temptation to stoop to that level you know? mm -hmm. yeah right we need to abide by our principles uh, yes. while still fighting uh for the mission and it's in, it's in my opinion, it's very important to avoid like Hammurabi's code of, of an eye for an eye, right? Because um, mm -hmm. because really, what does that accomplish? It accomplishes more violence, which is the thing that we've been objecting to this entire time. Yes, like violence against the the person, bodily sovereignty, etc. So mm -hmm. to to sacrifice that principle in in the sake for the sake of uh, vengeance or retribution, it makes number one, it makes the cause look like um, hypocritical mm -hmm. and that's not a good position to be in because you can just get called out for it. And it, it's difficult to take uh, people like that seriously, which again, it's, it's gonna, not, it's not going to be fun. Um, and it'll be difficult to do, especially with people who you, who betrayed you. Yeah. Um, but to come at it within from from an angle of um, the desire for something better is going to be more successful um, rather than coming from a desire to punish. Yes. Um, people who understand that they're subject to punishment, like Emily Oster, obviously that's why she's calling for amnesty, mm -hmm. um, are going to to withdraw if they feel like punishments are afoot. So. But I think that uh, punishments are not off the table for people like, I don't know, Bill Gates, Fauci, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Exactly. For those, for those uh, institutional figures that represent something far beyond the individual, uh, there needs to be a reckoning. Uh, but our efforts need to be concentrated there rather than on our friends and ex-friends and family. I agree. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. Um, that was one of the things I really was trying to like, maybe I, I kind of threw it in there at the end of the article, but I was really trying to point out the fact that like these apologies, like this article from the Atlantic, like this is the establishment trying to cover its ass and get out of any sort of reckon, you know, reckoning. Right. 
um, it's going to take a lot for me to accept mm-hmm. any sort of apology or anything from the establishment, like, like a Jimmy Kimmel type, right. Or a freaking Stephen Colbert, like, bro, you're going to have to really like, like, I don't know, but yes, our friends and family, that's completely different. That's completely mm-hmm. different. That's a whole different ball game, right? It's like, if Anthony Fauci wants to come out and be like, Hey guys, look, look guys, come on. Let's just, uh, let's just, you know, we were, there were some bad things on our side. We got, we got the cloth mask thing a little wrong and uh, let's just go on with our lives. Like, mm, not so fast, not so fast. Now I'm all about retribution justice. That's, that's exactly where I'm at for those folks. But when it comes to our friends, family, coworkers, people in our lives who made decisions based on bad information, you know, I have, mm-hmm. I have, I have sympathy for that. I have empathy for that. You know, I've had people in my life come back around who are, uh, you know, I've gotten a few people who are like, well, one person is really close to my life. Family member was like, you know, has always been, you know, extreme far left, always bought into the, pretty much all this stuff. And and we haven't really seen eye to eye about a whole lot of things over the years and came to me recently and said, like, maybe I'm a little more libertarian than I thought. And I'm like, that's awesome. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like to, without like putting too yeah. much investment in the labels. But you know what I mean? Like somebody that's like seen like i mean to me it just baffles me like how could you not see it at this point like gee well scott i mean (laughs) you gotta think about it uh they spent fifteen thousand hours in an indoctrination camp most likely and public schooling and then you're bombarded by uh you know media that's absolutely controlled so Mm -hmm. how did they get there it's understandable and those things are you know not beyond their control but uh it's it's a there's a lot of attacks coming. So whenever I see somebody buy into that, I, it's just kind of the default position for people because Mm -hmm. they're subject to such psychological manipulation on a daily basis. So it's, it's a, it's, it's an uphill battle to get to position of critical thinking in our, in our time. So whenever people do get there, it's laudable. Um, sometimes it takes things like a, you know, government mandating experimental gene therapies for people to get there. But, um, whenever they do, it's, you know, you gotta be open and welcome and, um, you know, facilitate question asking and maybe accelerate Mm -hmm. that progress. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's it. And like, that's how, that's what we should be doing too. Just keep, keep educating ourselves so that we can be a resource when they do Mm -hmm. come around. Yeah. That's, that's it. Have you, have you had people in your life, um, your personal life, like come back around, like people that maybe took a strong stance and then have kind of like capitulated a little bit and said like, oh, you know, maybe I didn't handle that the right way. No, not, not yet. Not yet. No, mm. no, my family was actually, um, well, yeah, my, my parents were pretty easy on me in my decision making. Mm-hmm. They asked me why. And they respected my answer, mm. which was incredibly important, uh, salvaged that relationship. I don't know if yeah. it would have survived if if they hadn't reacted that way, because they all got their their jabs, um, at least two that I'm aware of, including my 13-year-old brother. Mm. So, And I have feelings about that, but um, at least they were able to come from a place of genuine a- attempt to understand my position. Mm-hmm. Um and I think I did a good job of explaining it in a way that they could understand um, in the sense that I had, uh, I was hoping to preserve some sort of ge- genetic 
diversity in the population. Um, oh, you know, like Garrett Van and Bosch, um, yeah. immune escape, that kind of thing. So it was like, you know, you have to approach those conversations tactfully. Um, and that just encourages it to go better. And I'm grateful that it did. Uh, but as far as all the friends that I lost, uh, mm. no, I did manage to uh, convince the people who run my company um, to, they, they were trying to get us to test every day. Mm. If, we're, if we weren't vaccinated, wear um, masks everywhere, et cetera. Uh, I did manage to walk them off that cliff as well. Um, Good. And, so I've, I think I've had a good stroke of luck. That's actually. awesome. Um, people have had it far worse. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I, I was pretty wild navigating that in the working environment myself. Uh, it's a whole other story maybe for another day. My <laughs> audience heard me talk about it uh, to death. But so I like that approach. You were, you were almost saying like how uh, you're like, look, guys, these guys aren't running their science very good. Somebody needs to be the control group. Right. They just completely compromised their control group and injected all of them. So somebody needs to be the control group. So mom, mm -hmm. dad, I'm just going to be the control. Okay. <laughs> Name of science. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. And, you know, that worked. And then we hadn't talked about it since. So, cool. cool. <laughs> man. Yeah. I mean, the path to getting out of this thing, man. Like, what? I mean, what, what are you seeing in your community? Like, you said you're in Utah. Is that right? I was in Utah. I'm now in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. Pennsylvania. All kinds of nonsense going out there, huh? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so it seems like so Utah compared to Pennsylvania. What's that been like? Like, is it what's Pennsylvania like these days? Are they still playing COVID? No. Steam ahead no. over there? No. Okay. No. And Utah was very insulated from all of it. I mean, yeah. The uh, the state is it seems very independent from the federal government. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it made its own rules. Salt Lake City was a different, a totally different situation mm -hmm. because of the, uh, you know, the woke governor, the, the woke mayor of Salt Lake City. Um, she was the only person who instituted or the only, it was the only county in Salt Lake or in Utah that instituted any sort of mask mandates. Mm -hmm. We didn't ever have any uh, you know, QR codes or anything like that. There was only one wave of mask mandates as well. Um, they did do a second one, but then nobody abided. Uh, mm. So I was pretty, I was pretty lucky there as well. Um, Utah's a very independent state, thanks to the Mormons. Um, and they're pretty reasonable. They're nice. They're nice people, yeah, but totally. they just don't listen to what other people have to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some, some value to that. I mean, it seems like I mean, I, I got some respect for the Mormons, man. They're all about like family community and just yeah. like going out and just like building businesses and like just crushing yeah. in general. Like I'm like, okay, nice. Yeah, respect, <laughs> respect. Yeah, respect. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, didn't they have like some sort of like a currency too back in the day? Like where they were like just uh, do commerce amongst each other. And then uh, like the government came in and cracked down on that. Maybe I think I heard I'm not sure, that. but that sounds right. I mean, yeah. now Utah is one of the only states that has gold backs and, and mm. the businesses there accept it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely more of a libertarian uh, freedom oriented or at least a little bit more conservative values. Sure. Maybe that's why they're, they're so demonized and so like just vilified and mocked, I guess. You know what I mean? That's fine. Listen, yeah. uh, the people there are fine with being mocked and vilified because yeah. less people move to Utah. 
That's great. I love that. That's so awesome. I mean, I, I feel like maybe I should become a Mormon. I feel like I'm like a Mormon deep down inside. Like they feel like, no, you don't want to do that. Okay. Okay. Never you really don't want to do that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, what I, I wanted to ask you a few questions. Yes. So, um, I have my own opinions about what the lessons are from the pandemic or the, at least what Emily Oster was aiming at, um, in her article, uh, her mom blog. <laughs> my question for you is, uh, what is, how, how do we approach moving forward? Because, um, what, what would you, what, what does moving forward look like to you? So like, what kind of apology are you looking for? What would you accept? Um, and what, what is sufficient mm -hmm. in your opinion? Um, you know, I, I feel like if somebody, and I'm, and I'm just talking about people in my lives, like interpersonal mm -hmm. relationships, like I feel like these institutions have completely lost all trust. And I, I think they're completely irredeemable across mm -hmm. the board. And so like people in my life, like literally I, it wouldn't take much. Like literally if somebody were to just be like, look, man, I was really wrong about that. And you know, let's move forward. I'm like, great. Awesome. You know, that's fine. Like if you're vaccinated, I don't care. I don't, I don't like discriminate against people for being vaccinated. I know plenty of people here in my life or, you know, customers I work with, like, it's just not, you know, whatever we're fine. Mm -hmm. Like I, like I'm, it's not going to shed on me and kill me at this point. I think we're good <laughs> on that, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, but, but you know, I, I, I don't feel like it would take much at all. Right. Mm -hmm. But then at okay. the same time, how do we move forward? You know, right. I, I, I envision a world where, I mean, we're, we're witnessing this mass awakening. People are coming to the table and seeking out alternative sources of information just in droves. And it's a beautiful thing. You know, it's amazing. It's powerful. So let's all move mm -hmm. forward together. And I think, uh, a lot of the principles that like, you know, are taught or talked about in autonomy, our stuff. And, and then just, so ever since COVID kicked off, for example, um, it's interesting because like out in Oregon, like a lot of us, so I lived in Oregon my whole life and I lived up, I lived there up until just this last May and I moved to Nashville and I'm in Tennessee now. And so I was in Oregon for the majority of it. And so I feel like maybe a lot of this is coming from like just the trauma of being in Oregon, like just, Oh my gosh, it was just insane. You know, like literally hard lockdown for, a year that all the gyms were closed. Everything was closed for like a year, you know? Um, and just dealing with, just dealing with like very intense people, with very strong opinions. And I was working in a clinical setting as a drug and alcohol counselor. So I was working like, you know, amongst people where I was like the only person myself and one other guy and the whole agency who were like, kind of like, Whoa, man, I'm not cool with all this, you know? So we had to be very down low and secretive about it. And, uh, it was, it was, it was just a very traumatic experience, I think. So a lot of my like angst probably stems from that, <laughs> but, uh, but, but immediately right away, you know, I'd been looking into these topics for years, you know, like nine 11 government corruption across the board. And I knew what this was as soon as it happened. And so we immediately started finding, looking for other like-minded people, um, primarily through the freedom cells movement through freedom cells, freedomcells.org, And, uh, and we started getting these groups together and then we started sh sharing ideas and realizing that the, the solution to this is forming community to kind of insulate ourselves from um you know whatever's coming because you know in oregon summer of 2020 you know you had like the antifa riots and just like everything dude it was crazy we were like oh and the election coming up or like like literally we thought they were to start rounding people up 
like who knew like like the, the fear level was off the charts out there um i was in eugene about two hours south um of portland so it wasn't like eugene's like mini portland so it wasn't like as insane like the like the the, the fever pitch wasn't quite as intense as portland was but still it was a little scary so we started forming these little communities and then started like doing these meetups and we started doing these like skill sharing groups and like all this stuff. Right. And I'm like, okay, this is the solution. And then I started listening to podcasts and started that were in alignment with like agorism, you know, things like this that were, that we were kind of, and then I read a book by Derek bros, the conscious resistance trilogy, where he was describing like agorism, the idea of like counter economics and like, uh, you know, which is like all like, anarchist libertarian philosophy all this stuff right like stuff that i'd never really been exposed to before and it was like wow this is stuff that we're already putting into practice and i was like wow i guess i'm just like an anarchist libertarian i didn't even realize it right like whoa crazy or agorist i guess would be the right term right so um i think now even still you know even though the 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 kind of uh, the boot has come off a little bit i still think that that is the solution like that is how we move forward like these institutions have lost all credibility and there's no going back. There's no going back to any of these things, whether it's like, you know, the two-party voting system, you know, media, like Hollywood, like they're gone, dude. They're burned. They're done. Mm -hmm. And we have to like, and this is such a, not only is this like what needs to be done, but what's such a, what an amazing opportunity for us to come together, build community and build like a new world outside of this mm -hmm. one without having to engage with it at all. You know, that is the solution. That's how we move forward. And then anybody that wants to join us, mm -hmm. I mean, we got a big tent. Come on in, you know? Yeah, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the work of Carol Quigley, particularly yeah. the, oh, yeah. the evolution of civilizations, but... Um, I want to know. Yeah, he he has a theory on institutions when they begin. So they all start out as organizations that are working for a, a particular purpose. Mm -hmm. um, an institution is an organization which uh, it's, it's discarded its original purpose and instead is... At just trying to perpetuate its own existence. Yes. So the interests kind of completely separate. And the way he says, uh, the three ways that we can um, change that or overcome that are reaction, reform, or circumvention. Mm -hmm. um, so reaction is where the vested interests succeed in keeping things the same. Circumvention as uh, kind of like parallel societies. Um, and then reform is actually reforming those institutions. I think circumvention is, at this point is really the only way we can do it because those institutions are so powerful. They have so many, so much behind them. Um, so I think what you're describing is, is circumvention, parallel societies, like Whitney Webb says, exit and build. Uh, yeah. that's, that's a really, because we can only control what we can control, which are our own lives and our communities. So I think if we um, do invest a lot of our attention and energies there, we can succeed. And I mean, just take a look at the Amish. Like they really didn't be, they were not affected. And you could say the same thing about the homeless pop population. I remember witnessing um, articles being written about how the homeless in, in California were not getting COVID. <laughs> uh, they also weren't getting the vaccine. So like the media couldn't explain that. Um, but those are examples of insulated societies that are not dependent on institutions for their own survival. So I think that that's a good lesson to learn. If there is a way to reform or even abolish these institutions, mm -hmm. that's something that we should take a look at, I think. Um, but in the meantime, 
we we should do what we can and one uh, okay another question so yes. um emily oster in the article um she says that getting things right was a matter of luck which we know was not right um mm -hmm. it was a matter of critical thinking and labor putting your own applying your mind to the available information but she did say that getting things wrong is not a moral failing do you agree with that and if 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 so um well i suppose if not then what do you think the lesson is that that we learn here uh, in my opinion if you're uncertain you should do nothing that is the proper response especially when doing something would imply the violation of other people's bodies, uh, lives, rights, et cetera. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. I mean, I, I wish everybody would adopt that. Like, if you don't know, if you don't really know what you're speaking on, just be quiet until you can either figure it out or, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like, but, but people, everybody has to have an opinion on everything. Right. You know, mm -hmm. and probably myself included, you know, but, uh, you know, that's, that's, Okay, so so is it a moral failing to have gotten this information wrong? Mm -hmm. uh, I think the people that were that just bought into the narrative at face value because they get their information from the nightly news or CNN or like Stephen Colbert, you know, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that it's an egregious like uh, it's it's probably a moral failing and that they just don't know. I mean, is that more is that immoral though to not know how to get information? You know. Yeah, not my, not in my opinion. Um, yeah. Though I think it is a moral failing to apply those, you know, those. They're not justified true beliefs, yeah. right? They're just um, things that you've been told by uh, a person of authority. Yeah, you know. Sure. Um, so you're kind of op operating as a little Eichmann, like you're going around mm -hmm. applying things, applying rules that you don't understand why they're there. Yeah. And I think uh, it's not a difficult principle for people to understand that you know, violence is violence. Um, if you're making somebody do something that they don't want to do or like applying, you know, an irreversible, <laughs> uh, uh, gene injection to them, um, mm. that is violence and people yeah. it's, that's not a complicated principle. Yeah. But, yeah. um, you know, we operate in this world with a, a certain, a certain level of uncertainty. That's just, uh, how things are. There are only a very few things you can really be certain about. But in that realm of uncertainty, what is the right thing to do? Because sometimes you do have to take action, even though you're a little uncertain. You have to take risks. So how do you square that circle mm -hmm. between uncertainty and action? Yeah. Um, so if you're if you're uncertain, but you're compelled to take, or you just take action based on bad information. Is that what you mean? Yeah. I mean, uh, you can never know everything there is to know about a certain sure. situation. Yeah. Um, and sometimes there are actions that do need to be taken. Yeah. Like, um, you know, if you're, and this is something that I've always pushed on too throughout this whole thing is that people are going to voluntarily isolate themselves if they're sick because they don't want to go out and they feel yeah. like crap. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're, uh, anyway, um, sorry, I forgot where I was going with that, but, um, there are, yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. I don't want to interrupt. 
Um, how do we operate? Like, again, there are, okay, so I, I got it. Um, there are things that need to be, need to be done. Like, I mean, voluntary isolation, that's a good idea. Um, if you're, if you do have an illness and you are, uh, you know, you can transmit it to other people by way of like your, you know, you know, you're sneezing, coughing everywhere. You, you, it's, it's not a good thing to do to expose more people to that illness. Right. Mm -hmm. But the natural response is to isolate yourself. Mm -hmm. So the action is kind of, uh, in line with what is naturally occurring. So there's no amount of coercion there. Like you're mm -hmm. going to stay home, you're going to stay in bed, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but how do you, if, for instance, if there was um, a, like an extreme existential threat to the United States um, approaching quickly, there would need to be some action taken. But if there is any uncertainty in that regard, how do you um, take effective action without, with like, while also minimizing the amount of coercion involved. It's just, it's a very difficult question. Yeah, no, it really but, is. Especially when you're getting your information from sources that are proven to be not only unreliable, but intentionally deceptive to take your freedom. <laughs> like they are mm -hmm. literally trying to take your freedom, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's tough. It's like the uh, uh, Project Bluebeam, right? So if like we wake up, some morning and they're like you guys the aliens are here look there's ufos in the sky mm -hmm. like every single one of us are gonna be like yeah right that's yeah. just holograms <laughs> dude we know we know we're on to you uh -uh. and it turns out to be actual an alien invasion i don't know <laughs> but, but i mean we have like yeah. a certain degree of i mean i don't know maybe that's the whole psyop right there is to get us to uh now completely distrust them like like they've they've been the boy that cries wolf for so long that when something does finally happen we we're just like oh come on mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah um the degradation of trust in public institutions that are meant to serve as adhesive for the people uh, is very concerning and i think that <laughs> the white house is keenly aware of this like mm -hmm. they've issued a lot of statements on public distrust of institutions. The World Economic Forum is also very concerned about that. Um, because if you can't, trust is a very valuable currency. It's one oh, yeah. of the most valuable currencies. So yeah. if you can't garner trust in, from your people, there's a lot less you can do um, in terms, you know, if there's a lot more backlash you'll face. Uh, you're under much heavier scrutiny. Mm -hmm. And that's not a position that leaders want to be in, especially if they're not operating under good faith <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um, you know, yeah good well i was just gonna say too back to the like the the idea of um you know the is it a moral failing like i think and, and like we could look at like doctors for example right do you think that these doctors knew that they were like intentionally hurting people like you hear about all these cases of mm. people going to their doctor god what was that? i was listening to some podcast yesterday i don't even remember what it was but somebody was given a story about how, you know, they went to they or somebody they knew went and got a shot and then had this like, like, like their whole, like their legs went completely paralyzed or something like that. And they went back like the next day or like within hours, they go back to the doctor and they're like, Whoa, man, like what happened? Like, could it possibly be the shot? And the doctor's like, no, no, no there's no chance it was a shot whatsoever. <laughs> and then the doctor recommended they get another shot and then they got the other shot 
And then they had like another like paralyzing extreme <laughs> incident. And then at that point, the doctor was like, okay, no more shots. And like, do you think it was the shot that caused it? And they're like, well, we can't be sure, but we just don't want to take any risks. No more shots. Like, dude, like, so at that point, is this doctor being intentionally deceptive because they don't want to lose their license or they don't want to be held accountable? Like mm -hmm. that's a moral failing. Like if you're like, if you're, if you're being that greedy to where you're injuring people or you're mm -hmm. not taking preventative action to help people because of selfish reasons like that, that's absolutely a moral failing. You know, mm -hmm. the, the top down aspect of this, like the folks who were behind all of this to begin with that knew from the clinical trials that there was like an issue and that this could be mm. way more harm than good or, or, or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Those are moral failings. And now that we're seeing it continue with in, in, in the face of all the evidence that we have still pushing it out there, that's a moral failing, you know, but the people that are operating mm -hmm. with bad information, you know, I, I wouldn't say to that degree. The only moral failing there is that you're kind of dumb. <laughs> and I don't even know if that's a moral failing. <laughs> yeah. I think that ignorance or like incompetence is certainly forgivable, especially if there's nothing you can do about it. Um, yeah. You know, there's, that's forgivable. But if you understand what you're doing is uh, applying undue risk to somebody, yeah. especially when they've already been injured, that's different. Um, yeah. I think that those kinds of people had a lot of incentive to be ignorant. Mm -hmm. Um, they, I remember reading about the, you know, the kickbacks are getting for every job that they, they applied to people. So that's a lot of money to be made. Uh, and if you are a person that is, you know, and in the pursuit of happiness, you know, you want to be able to provide what you can for your family. That's mm -hmm. understandable, but at what expense? That's, that's the, what, what, what cost? Yeah. Um, that's where you have to end. That's my, that's my opinion of, of what the actual lesson is here is if there is any sort of question, you should err on the side of, uh, nonviolence yeah. and that it could, because if, if we did that, then we would have avoided lockdowns for sure would have avoided, um, people getting laid off from their jobs because they refused to get vaccinated. Um, we would have erred on the side of letting people see their loved ones while they're in hospitals or nursing homes, et cetera. Um, those are kind of life-saving measures. But um, I think a lot of, and I think that is what should be demanded mm -hmm. the next time this happens in any kind of situation, not just biological, but in any sort of like wartime scenario uh, or any sort of major threat because fear makes people do things that are irrational. Mm -hmm. um, and, powerful people understand this so if there is a you know people in positions of power want to trigger confusion and then offer you a solution because the last last thing that people want to do is be confused and scared mm -hmm. they want to feel like they have some measure of control over the events of the world uh, and that so that's something that we need to be on the lookout for but we also need to be on the lookout when we also need to demand people like our friends and family who did do things like ostracize people, um, shame them to err on the side of personal choice, diversity of opinion, um, and nonviolence. Yeah, I agree. Err on the side of nonviolence. I love that. That's amazing. Um, so I want to tell you about this, uh, like a case study that really applies here. And, and my listeners, again, you guys could fast forward like five minutes because you've heard me tell this story a million <laughs> times, but, but I can't, I can't, uh, 
shouted out enough. So my buddy Adam does a show called Deborah Gets Red Pilled. Have you ever heard of that show? Mm-mm. It's a fantastic show. It's like one of the best shows out there. And he's his journey has been so amazing to watch. You know, he he was like in Portland, uh, Portland, Oregon, you know, and ever since now, now he's like out of the city, homesteading, like just crushing, you know what I mean? Like doing mm-hmm. awesome stuff. So his journey has been really cool to watch. But the show Deborah Gets Red Pilled is this fascinating little uh, microcosm of like what we're just talking about here. And so Deborah is his mother-in-law, right? And she's like, you know, 70s, lives in San Francisco, lifelong Democrat, like CNN, you know, complete like hates Trump with every fiber of her being, you know, all that type of stuff. Like just typical, like love CNN, like loves all those guys so much, right? And Adam has this great idea to do this show and they're like, I don't know, a couple hundred episodes in. So, you know, there's a huge body of work here. And so his, I remember when he first like messaged me back in the day, he's like, dude, I want to start this podcast. Deborah gets red pilled. I'm like, oh, that's the greatest idea ever. And the whole idea being is that they, Deborah comes on and he brings on like all these experts to like red pill her on all these different topics. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's so great. Now I got to say, Deborah, Deborah's the best. Like she's like a cult hero. Like she's the best. She's such a good sport. And she's so like, she, she's a, I just love Deborah to death. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, but the funny thing is, is like, they're like, you know, a couple hundred episodes in and she still is like, you know, can't break through, can't break through mm. any of that. Like she's still like full blown, like, you know, and, and like you can bring up and that just tells you right there. Like, here we are like trying to share articles or text an article to somebody that's like still blue pilled or in the whatever and thinking that mm. that's going to change their mind. Well, like here, like you, here's proof that you could literally bring experts from all over the world for hundreds of hours, giving them the best information that you possibly mm-hmm. can. And it's still not going to push them towards, you know, changing their mind. It's fascinating. Well, that's the point, Scott, that the yeah. point is not to change minds. Yeah. The point is for people to understand that it is okay to disagree. Yes. And disagreement isn't uh, an indication of somebody being less than human or, oh, yeah. or deserving death. Um, yeah. You know? Oh yeah. So, uh, well, that is a, you know, a commendable pursuit and I'll probably yeah. check that out. <laughs> for but, sure. but actually, but, but the point I was getting at, the point I was getting oh, at yeah, sorry. is that it's no, 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 it's all right. So, and I, maybe changing minds isn't, isn't the right way to put it. You know, he was just hoping, you know, like, Hey, Deborah, like, come on, like, you got to <laughs> see this stuff the way it was, you know what I mean? Like, so, mm-hmm. but, but the whole point is that, uh, so, so with that, now they've dove in and like, try to figure out, okay, so why is there this like block there? Like, like why, what, like, what is mm-hmm. that block? You know what I mean? And it, it sounds like he's narrowed it down to the idea of codependency. It's codependency. Mm-hmm. It's like what you were talking about there a minute ago. It's like Deborah doesn't want her friend circle to perceive her as something outside of what uh, they want. And so she will completely just put the blinders up and, and, and just completely and like, you know, like one of the questions I remember he asked her was like, what if there was evidence that came out that Joe Biden literally like molest children? Would you still vote for him over Trump? And she was like, yeah, probably. And it's like, wow. you know what I mean? Like that level. And so, uh, but, but it's all because she doesn't want her friends to think any less of her, her friends to think that she's like, you know, a Trump supporter or something like that. And it's like, whoa, yeah. Dude, so yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that makes sense to me, yeah. not her decisions, yeah. not her friends, but community is highly valuable Mm -hmm. um it's we're social creatures so there's a lot at stake there Mm -hmm. um i would apply the critical thinking not to 
you know, her ideology, but whether or not her friends are worth having. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of context too, like her age, mm-hmm. uh, what, how she grew up and stuff like that to consider, mm-hmm. which make people less or more likely to, to have it like a paradigm shift in their mind. Yeah. The earlier it happens, the, the easier it is. Mm-hmm. But once you've spent, you know, 30, 40 years with the same people, you're much less likely to give that up for the sake of anything. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. It's just, it's just interesting. Yeah. It's really fascinating stuff. Yeah. So it's a good show. Big shout out yeah. to Adam. I will check uh, that out. Cool. So do you have any final thoughts on this? Cause I do want to talk to you about uh, your articles and autonomy. Mm. Do you have any final thoughts on this particular issue? Um, or we can keep going if you, if you want to keep unpacking it. Yeah. I mean, Really, my notes were mostly just an um, analysis of what she was saying. Yeah. Um, you know, my she she has children, um, so she's approaching. You know, she did push for schools to open a lot earlier than most people, uh, but that's only because she was able to witness the actual consequence of school closures. So, you know, how altruistic is that? How how motivated by the truth that is. I'm not sure. I think she had her own personal interest in doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what people need to do. Like it is remarkable how uh, people refuse to learn things the easy way and they need to learn them the hard way. So it took her kids being developmentally uh, arrested mm-hmm. for her to have that belief, which the evidence was already there. It was just happening to other people's kids. Yeah. So, I mean, that is that is the unfortunate nature of, of humanity um, is that it actually need you need to have tangible consequences that you can yeah. consider before you do anything. Um, Isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah. I will say that um, this will happen again. Mm-hmm. It is a matter of the morphology of the scenario. So it, we try. We saw them attempt it with the monkeypox thing but we were all too exhausted from COVID for three years. And then it's happening with Russia. Um, while, while the scenario changes, people's psychology and tendencies do not. So we need to understand what the tendencies are um, and prepare for those to manifest in the future. I, that's, that's the lesson that we all owe ourselves as a community, as a community of citizens in the world. Um, mm-hmm. Not just one side or another, uh, because that is where mistakes get made. Yeah. Um, well, we're starting to see a lot of the overlap with like the climate thing, and that's just going to continue down that oh, road. You know, they're they're trying absolutely. to apply some of the same remedies like lockdowns and blah 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 blah, but also the same like shaming, shaming, social shaming. Uh, mm-hmm. I can see that being a big thing. You know, one of the things I've been like trying to figure out is like, okay, so the mask was such a symbol of you know, the COVID thing, like either you wear a mask or you don't, you know, and that's kind of like the the symbol that divides the two. So I'm trying to think of like, what's the symbol for the climate thing? What are they going to ascribe to those who are complying versus those that don't? I was thinking maybe the, I mean, that's the social credit score right there. Oh yeah, yeah. exactly. The digi- the digitization of your being, that's what mm-hmm. it will be. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, and that only services the fourth industrial revolution and transhumanist yeah. movements as well. Uh, but people who are willing to put their life in, uh, binary, that's what it will be. Um, and I'm sure they'll have some sort of way to indicate to others whether or not that is something that you have, just to make yeah. sure that you have that same sort of social pressure to conform. Mm-hmm. 
Well, luckily they leave room open for those to uh, live very different lives outside the cities, right? So that's gonna be us. <laughs> it's kind <laughs> yeah. of like Brave New World and the yeah. and the cities, and then the savages. You know, yeah, I'll be yeah. a savage. Totally, dude. I, I'm almost kind of looking forward to that. Let's let's just let's yeah. just do it, man. It'll be good. <laughs> so, so yeah. I mean, see, so guys. Yeah, I mean, if you if you if you want to get your blood boiling, you haven't read this article yet. Go check it out. If not, you know, there you go. It's that's the gist of it. So mm-hmm. anyway, right on, right on. Well, hey, so, uh, so this is your first season of Autonomy. Mm-hmm. Heard your yep. introduction. Like, what do you think? What are your thoughts so far? Uh, it's great. It's exceeding expectations, yeah. which is always the hope. But um, yeah, I mean, it's invaluable information. I've already learned so much that it's difficult to process. It is. And the, you know, the, the integration exercises are actually challenging, which yeah. I enjoy. Yeah. And um, I've met a lot of people. I feel like I've made a lot of really good friends. And my uh, goal for autonomy is really to catalyze accelerated progress in my life mm-hmm. and in terms of my values. So, um, independence, autonomy, obviously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to um, ask you. Like what, what would be like a tangible like outcome? Like what would be a vision yeah. for yourself like a year from now applying some of what you're learning? Offering things that align with my values to my community members uh, and delivering. Yeah. That's really what I'd like to do. So, awesome. but, um, Yes, very good. I enjoy it. Um, much respect for all of the people in the autonomy space. But also, I've met so many great people, people from Sweden, um, Australia. <laughs> so not some things, people and ideas that I would never have encountered mm-hmm. otherwise. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I think that's really the biggest value of it is the community itself, you know, like just tapping in because so many different people already come to the table with so many different skills and everything. And everyone's looking to kind of build and grow together. Like, I think that that's just it's it's really cool. So, so yeah, it's powerful stuff, man. And, and it's like, only week four. I know. And like, I feel <laughs> like, you know, these first few weeks were just like unschooling, like deprogramming. Mm-hmm. Like here's here's where, uh, you know, the school system failed you. And just like, and Richard's little one-liners, dude, like, oh my God, (laughs) many of them, like, yeah, like, like God, one of the ones last night, he was like, he was like, uh, and what we were just talking about, he's like, he's like, they literally use like the ruling class, whatever, you know, they instigate fear in order to take your liberties. Mm -hmm. Like we were like, they just try to perpetuate fear amongst the populace with the end result of taking your liberties. It's like, that's pretty much sums it up, you know? Mm And so the more autonomy we can have in our lives, the more we are insulated from whatever, whatever's coming. Right. And so Insul- both insulated and resilient. Yes. Because yes. there isn't, there's a, a, a bit of tempering that you have to do to your beliefs and your principles to test them mm-hmm. uh, before they have, you know, challenges applied to them. And I think that's a lot of what, what autonomy does is tempering of that. Yeah. As- those aspects of you. That's awesome. It's highly yeah. valuable. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So, uh, so how, okay. So let's see, let's go in. So what, what was it? So, okay. Let me back it up a little bit. So <laughs> did you, uh, when did you start coming awake to these truths or what that maybe the world wasn't exactly the way it was presented to us? Was this, uh, were you looking at this stuff before COVID? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I went to school for philosophy um, that was not the thing that I wanted to study at first. I was hoping to do pre-med so I could become a surgeon. Um, I took a philosophy course for an EZA and a general credit, uh, but it ended up 
completely obliterating my and framing of the world. <laughs> so uh, in my sort of obsession for uh, answers and having my questions only lead to more questions, it was like heaven's ladder. You know, you climb up the ladder, the farther away heaven gets. Mm -hmm. uh, but I became kind of obsessed with that. So I um, encountered a lot of different ways of thinking about the world and uh, different ideas. One of my uh, key classes was, uh, it's called Theory of Knowledge, where we looked at where knowledge comes from um, and how to evaluate different sources of information, what a belief is, things like that. So I was exposed to that sort of in a backwards way, you know, um, but those classes, learning about other cultures like ancient Chinese philosophy helped me um, consume information in a much more critical fashion. Um, so I owe a lot of credit to that. And, and the 2016 election, I, I would say, is kind of where things began for me um, in my own personal development. I was actually a little bit more conscious of, of what was going on. Um, and the culture wars really was what did it uh, because of how absurd and ludicrous and controlled and manipulated they are. Um, so that's where it kind of began. That's awesome. And but so COVID was certainly a, ca a catalyst yeah. for, for more action on my part. Exactly. Exactly. So, so did you recognize it for what it was right away? Like, oh, okay, this is, this is the big one here. Well, um, at first I was concerned for the people of China, you know, um, sure. you know, I was wondering how, cause that's such a densely packed population. Um, and it is a virus and I, you know, I had no reason at that point to believe it wasn't anything but deadly because that's what they were saying. Mm. Um, so I was initially under the impression that maybe this is just a pandemic. We'll have to, you know, this is something that the world will have to go through because mm. there's no way of stopping it. I knew that we were never going to vaccinate our way out of a, out of that pandemic. Mm. Um, but then you had almost immediately thereafter, I'd say two months later, three months later, um, I was, you had people, you know, pushing for these vaccines, new experimental, they're gene based, and that uh, set off a ton of alarm bells in my head. So when the, both the uh, Pfizer and the Moderna study protocols came out, I read those immediately. Mm. And then I found that they were not studying whether or not it prevents transmission. Mm -hmm. I found that they were not studying the effects of, or safety or efficacy in pregnant or lactating women. Um, there was just a ton of holes in the protocols. And yet you have people saying, oh, well, this is the, we're subjecting this um, vaccine to the highest amounts, the highest, the most rigorous safety and efficacy studies um, available. And transparency. I remember that too. They're like, this is gonna be the most transparent, open. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know what, uh, that turns out to be, uh, I know what they were referencing now, because mm -hmm. they weren't referencing randomized controlled trials, because they didn't even complete those studies. Um, and phase three is still ongoing, right? Yeah. So they can't say that they have actual data in that regard. What they're actually referring to is real world data, um, real world evidence generation, um, which is actually using you as the population which is being studied so they use your 
social media. They use your phone. They use any devices in your car that can track your location. They check your electronic health records. Um, they check whether or not you go to CVS, uh, you know, using your location data on your phone. They use the smartwatch that you wear on your wrist mm -hmm. to monitor blood, you know, uh, blood oxy oxygenation, saturation, um, heart rate, stuff like that. And they combine it all. They aggregate it all. Uh, without your permission because they waived informed consent for low risk experiments uh several years ago and that's what they use to justify whether or not things are whether or not this uh, gene therapy is safe or effective and with that amount those vast amounts of data all the statistics and modeling etc you can kind of come up with any conclusion that you want to um, and that's where you see the dichotomy between the things that they claim and reality mm -hmm. because they're using that. And this is something that Dr. Robert Califf, now the commissioner of the FDA, is a huge fan of um, because he wants biosensors anywhere, everywhere. And, and that would be a good justification for it. But, um, you know, a, a good example is the Israeli Ministry of Health said, um, about a year and a half ago that the vaccines were, you know, being shown using real world evidence to pre prevent over 95% of, of symptomatic cases. Right. And then uh, a couple months later, you have the man, the doctor and farmer, Bill Gates, um, admitting that it, neither of the mRNA vaccines prevented transmission. And it was Omicron that actually served as a, a vaccine, unfortunately, right? <laughs> According to him. So which one of those is supported by reality and which one of those is supported by real world evidence generation? Yeah. yeah. Good question. Good question. And, and it is kind of interesting how they set up, like it's almost you could argue both sides of it with the with the information they put out there, which like created mm -hmm. that divide and created this whole like the dichotomy and just the 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 fracture the the frac fracture and the you know factions coming you know divided and then coming against it's it's like yeah it's you see that all the time like they just put out enough information to make both sides you could argue both sides <laughs> mm -hmm. crazy yeah well that vast amount of data um, whenever you're analyzing it which. It's probably, let's be honest, it's probably a bunch of machines sort of collating and, mm -hmm. and aggregating the data um, and then putting it into graphs and things that people can understand because nobody's going to be, nobody has that, that amount of time to study mm -hmm. all that data uh, of million, you know, t dozens of millions of people. Anybody who has a smart device, that's you. So um, it's uh, probably machines. Um, but you can apply certain uh, perspectives to that data to derive whatever meaning or whatever model, like whatever conclusion. If you start from the conclusions, like the Delphi, of, you know, the Delphi technique, if you start mm -hmm. with a conclusion, you can kind of work with it. Um, you can say certain data is unreliable, which is influencing it to avoid getting to this conclusion, whatever. And, you know, Quality of that data is also a big deal. So um, if you have a reason to say that, you know, the person that or the people who got unvaccinated and didn't ever or, or were never vaccinated and, and never had any sort of like ill 
ill effects from that, they must have been lying. Like the data there must have been wrong. So you get rid of all of that. Mm. Um, that will lead to a more um, favorable conclusion for you if you want to make the picture to be that the vaccinated are more protected or whatever. Mm-hmm. So there's just a, a, there's a lot of things that can lead to conclusions that are not true or are much less true than they are. Um, and you can see those those play out in real life. I mean, you saw the claims for the vaccine's effectiveness drop from like 95% to less than 50%, yeah, which is less. really, really bad. Way less. <laughs> um, so how did we get like, so we're, how were you, were you just wrong at the beginning? Mm-hmm. Um, it, no, it's the bias that's applied to these huge data sets that mm-hmm. are really unreliable and they're certainly not controlled. Um, but the reason why they want to do that is because randomized clinical trials are very long. They'd have a lot of expense. There's the expense is primarily in liability because if people get injured, then you have to compensate them. Um, and there's a lot of work to be done and it's not timely, right? The vaccines for the pandemics, um, they are not, they don't get to us fast enough to be effective at preventing more widespread transmission things yeah. like that we need to bring in a new system we need to destroy the old system and bring in a plug and play mrna platform baby mm-hmm. where we're at so so this is this has all been like like obviously you're just like an incredible researcher right and and you've been looking into this stuff and and you've been putting this all together and then you were like one day you're like okay i need to start writing this down and putting this out and like publishing this stuff so the covid collaborator series like how did what was like the genesis of that like what was your uh inspiration mm-hmm. to embark on that um, Philip Zelikow. Okay. <laughs> so I was looking in, well, um, like I said, COVID was a lot of, uh, it served as a catalyst for action on my part. So I was, I all of us, yeah, totally. yeah, I mean, before it happened, I was looking into things like commons pass, mm-hmm. um, digital IDs, like ID 2020 and stuff like that, because I knew that that was a means to a different end than what they were claiming. So but um, I was looking into that. I was uh, trying to map the world of how things work. Like, what kind of powerful families are they? What sort of influence do they have in the world? What institutions are important? Like, how do things actually operate in a pragmatic sense? Um, so I was looking at that point at the Rockefeller Foundation and uh, looking through their grants. And I saw like a pretty big sum, almost half a million dollars go to the University of North Carolina um, for COVID, the COVID Commission Planning Group. Um, and then I looked into that because that sounds ominous, sounds like 9-11, 9/11 Commission. Um, and lo and behold, who's running it? Uh, Philip Zelikow. So, <laughs> so I was reaching out to people um, in the media monarchy kingdom um, with James Evan Flotto. And uh, I was like, who's this Philip Zelikow guy? Sounds really, really familiar. I just can't place him. And James Jordan said, uh, yeah, that's the guy that directed the 9-11 commission. (laughs) So (laughs) he was like, you should look into that a little bit more. So I did. And there's a huge wealth of information that people need to know. Um, It explains a lot of what's happening right now. And uh, nobody's paying attention to it because nobody knows it exists. Uh, They just operate behind the scenes. They have recommendations. For instance, there are three 
FDA commissioners on the National Advisory Board. So these are powerful people. Mm-hmm. I mean, the president of the Rockefeller Foundation sits on the National Advisory Board for the COVID Collaborative. So these are people who have influence. Um, and they're doing things without mention. So they don't want people to know that they are, you know, talking to the president, talking to Gavi, um, because that seems weird. They're unelected. There's no accountability there. They're basically being run by the Rockefeller Foundation. Um, so I started writing. Turned out to be a lot more than what I was expecting. Um, I was hoping to do it in just one go. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll probably turn out to be the length of a book. So right now I'm just doing it in installments and then I'll collate it at a later date. That's amazing. So that's the end goal. Like you're hoping to put it together and write a book out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, like we saw Whitney do that. Like she was like reporting on, uh, you know, the whole Epstein thing. And it's like, it's literally like what you just described. It's like, Oh, I'm just gonna report on this little thing. And the more you unpack it, the more you look in next thing you know, you've got two 500 page volumes, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, that's one of my goals too, someday to be able to write a book. And it's like, I, I admire anybody that has that in their heart and that it looks like you're really taking action. So this is really cool stuff. And I hope everybody goes and checks it out. Manufact- and then James is in the chat. What's up, James? Big shout out to James. <laughs> manufacturingreality.org, dude. You guys got to go check it. Uh, he's got a new thing he's doing. What is it? Manufacturing, Manufacturing history. history. Yeah. yeah, very good. Yeah. And Liberty Radio. Which Liberty Radio, so. yes. Yes. I uh, texted him yeah. this morning right before this. I'm like, James, we need to get you on the show, dude. So... So yeah, hopefully look for that here soon. So well, shoot, uh, Maddie, great job. Like this is fantastic stuff. Um, I really, really appreciate you coming on and chatting and, uh, yeah. uh, sounds like you got a lot of, okay. So autonomy now and then, uh, get back to the writing afterwards. So oh yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Um, is there any, anything else you want to shout out or promote while you're here? Nope. Uh, I mean, Grand Theft World, yeah. Richard Grove, autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those are my homies. That's, yeah, for that's sure. the good stuff right there. <laughs> sure. A big shout out to Tony too, man. Like Tony, uh, mm-hmm. he, uh, you were talking about like, you have a, like a background in, in philosophy and stuff. Like I didn't know about any of this stuff until I started listening to Grand Theft World. And then I like, got in the Grand Theft World community and I took his logic course. I'm like, I didn't even mm-hmm. know about any of this crap. I didn't know you could, it was like an actual like field of study about logic. I thought you just kind of oh, like. Yeah. You just kind of like looked at something and like made up your mind about it. You know, I didn't know there was like this <laughs> deep like philosophy behind it. I'm like, oh my God, it's so fascinating. So big shout out to those guys. You guys, if you're not in the Grand Theft World community, if you don't watch Grand Theft World at the very least, like you're missing out, man. Yeah. Like, like, what are you like doing? Is, yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> so yeah, big shout out to that crew over there. I got so much love for them, man. Like they've helped me out and they've uh, been a big part of my journey. So yeah, a lot of love to not only that, but then like all the autonomy graduates too. Like that's how I first heard about autonomy Mm -hmm. was I started working with some of these autonomy graduates, like in the real world, like Matthew Raymer from content safe. Um, he, he started, he was, he was the first person that told me about it. Um, just like, you know, folks that like started to kind of flow into my life were all these autonomy graduates. I'm like, what the hell is this autonomy thing? You know? So much respect, man. It's just like culture of excellence. Right. So, yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, that's James Jordan. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yes, James, and James. I for things that are important. I think that's one of the values that uh, autonomy offers people. Oh, he's on mute. Nope. Okay. Whoa! Can you hear me? Still? 
Yeah, yeah, I can. Back okay, weird. Months. I don't know what just happened. That <laughs> thing just glitched out, so I guess that means we're uh, at the end of the road here. So, <laughs> what the hell? Can you can you hear me? What the hell? Yeah, I can hear you. I can't I can hear, hear you. No, you can't hear me. Okay. Weird. I lost your audio. Okay, guys. <laughs> we'll have a fantastic day. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Bye bye. Thank right. you.